Welcome to the Global Investor Podcast, a show that focuses on helping foreign investors enter the lucrative U.S. real estate market. Host Charles Carrillo combines decades of real estate investing experience with a professional background in international banking to interview experts in all areas of U.S. real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Charles Carrillo. Welcome to another episode of the Global Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Charles Crillo. Today we have Ryan McKenna. Ryan is a full-time real estate investor, syndicator, and founder of McKenna Capital, a private equity firm that provides passive investing opportunities in commercial real estate, focusing on value-add multifamily, self-storage, and manufactured home parks. McKenna Capital has helped investors allocate capital across 8,500 units with a combined asset value of over $900 million, which is very impressive. So thanks for being on the show today, Ryan. Thanks, Charles. Uh, very happy to be on. Yeah, no, it's awesome that you're in so many different asset classes because then it gives a whole, um, a different view for different investors of where they want to be invested and um, the pros and cons of that. Um, can you give us a little background on yourself as well as your professional experience uh, prior to starting McKenna Capital? Sure. Well, I uh, live in Glenview, Illinois now. It's just a suburb north of Chicago. Have a beautiful wife, two daughters. Uh, I guess to start, uh, I'll take you back to uh, my college years because that's an important time in my life uh, where I worked really hard uh, at an early age to uh, get a scholarship to play baseball at Arizona State, which was my dream school. And it was a path that um, you know, I thought I would continue after college. Um, I always had dreams and aspirations of you know, giving it a shot maybe of making it to the big leagues and Arizona State was was a great stepping stone for that uh, especially with the the program there uh, but I encountered an illness about halfway through my uh, sophomore year and uh, it really derailed um, the rest of my baseball career and, and completely you know changed my life and I share that because I, I think it's important for others to know that you know you could have a plan and, and think everything's going to go right but when it doesn't and life throws you a curveball you got to kind of uh, adjust to that and so um i you know at back in that point in my life really needed to, to fall back on on something else and that's where education and, and business became uh, paramount to me and it's actually when i first started to learn and, and um you know my interest in real estate really started to kind of take off um, but from, uh, you know, graduating to Arizona state, I went into the business world. Um, I, I've worked at a startup company before I've, um, you know, worked in a family, our family business. I, uh, was in the insurance industry for a long time, all while, um, my entrepreneurial roots, especially in, in real estate and my desire to invest and, and build a business had always kind of been there. Um, started my first, uh, real estate investment back in 2006 and then in 2007, I started a, a business on the side. Um, I've had a, a few side hustles, uh, if you can call them that, over, over a period of my life. And um, that one business within five years, I was able to scale it to over a million dollars in revenue um, by myself, just kind of working nights and weekends. And then uh, I hired a management company to come in. And um, it's, it's a very passive business today. But it was something that really... Um, got me thinking of, you know, just the passive nature of growing a business or investing. Um, so I did all this prior to starting McKenna Capital. And so I just think that, um, you know, life has a crazy way of uh, taking you to many different places, but I wouldn't have changed anything that I've gone through or experienced. Um, I'm completely healthy now and happy and uh, just in a good place with, with everything. So 
that's uh, that's myself, my background, and and professional career. How did you choose real estate as your vehicle? So when I was exposed to it in in college, um, actually when I w- was sick, I had to do a, a medical red shirt, so I had a lot of time on my hands outside of practice, and uh, I started to think about my future and what I wanted to do and where I was going to make my mark and what I was passionate about. And uh, fortunately, a teammate of mine, his father was an apartment syndicator. And I got to know him. He was an outfielder. And so we were always, you know, doing drills together, working together. But his father would be in town and I would just strike up conversations. And he was a very smart uh, businessman. And and I really liked uh, what he was doing. And uh, he kind of took me under his wing a little bit and shared more about uh, what a syndication was and, you know, how they were buying these large two, 300 unit apartments. And I just got really curious, started asking a lot of questions. And then, you know, I quickly learned how, how lucrative that business could be and how much fun it could be and all the flexibility he had um, raising his you know, children where he could kind of uh, you know, dictate his own schedule and uh, work on, you know, projects here and there and take time off if he needed. So there was an attractiveness to that, um, that, that model, that business, that investment. Um, and then when I looked into it further um, at the, the level of returns that one could receive investing in it or syndicating the deal, it was just something that always was, was top of mind. Um, and then in combination of that, I also stumbled across uh, Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. That was probably the most influential you know, business personal finance book I've ever read or ever read. And um, that together you know, with the timing of what I was going through in my life, and having a mentor that was already in the business and then seeing in that book a blueprint for how to do this, how to invest passively, that's really where I kind of put it all together. And it's something you know, to this day I still look back on as a, you know, a, a very strong foundation for getting me into real estate you know, and that type of vehicle being my preferred uh, investment choice. Yeah. That book is so important in getting someone out of the employee mindset, the E mindset, as he says, into the business owner, the passive, uh, even out of the self-employed person, because everybody thinks, you know, that's, that's a huge part of that book is knowing that I'm, I'm self-employed. I have a job. It's not a business which passive. Um, so when you started with real estate, was it straight passive investing? I know you said you had done it for three years or so and you're able to um, pretty much take out your full-time income through, that, through that, uh, that income. But was it, did you start off passively or did you start off more active? No, I started off more active. So okay. kind of like most, maybe dip my toe into the, the single family rentals and yeah. uh, just, I had known about uh, apartment syndications, but I just didn't, I guess at the time have the capital to really start investing. So I think it's easier to get started in single family rentals, which is what I did. And it was a great way for me to learn, but it definitely was active. And, you know, looking back on it, I'm you know thankful that I got into it when I did, because part of this was taking action. I'd always talked about wanting to invest. And uh, this was a great experience for me to kind of start on a smaller scale and learn the things that I, I really um, wanted to learn about managing a property, managing tenants, so I got a good education, but I also quickly learned that this wasn't a type of investment that would allow me to scale because it wasn't passive. It, it took a lot of my time and I was already working full time and I didn't want to have a kind of another full time you know, project on top of that. So after a few of those, I just I really realized that, you know, I needed to get back to what I wanted to ultimately invest in, which was multifamily syndication. And so um, it did take me 
you know, some time to get there. I had another business that I was building along the way. So that's where there was maybe a gap from 2006 to 2016 was really when I first started um, making a lot of my multifamily uh, syndication investments passively. And then from there, that's when it, it took off because I was able to deploy enough capital over that three-year period to essentially allow me to walk away from my corporate job and then to pursue investing full-time and, and also grow a syndication business. Were those all large multifamily properties or were you in other asset classes? No, they were all large uh, multifamily properties. Uh, the average size was probably between 200 and 300 units. And I had invested in 12 syndications uh, with four different sponsors. Um, as uh, you know, before I decided to you know, pursue the syndication path because I really wanted to um, learn from others who had been successful and I wanted to diversify my investments you know, across multiple sponsors, you know, different markets. And, uh, you know, so it was really, I was kind of test running, you know, maybe my own business or my own um, investments that I wanted to pursue um, and help others with, but I was doing it um, all along the way, you know, just learning and staying as close as I could to the, the operators. Um, but it was uh, a great time in my life where I was able to see something quickly grow and the best part about these passive investments is once I did the diligence on the front end and then made the investment, it was completely hands off. And that was kind of liberating yeah. um, when I compare it to what I had experienced prior where I did receive a lot of those phone calls and had to make some of those decisions. Whereas nowadays it's, you know, once I make the investment, I kind of sit back and watch the money roll in. Yeah, that's great. It's a great way of passive investing uh, before if, if you want to syndicate. Um, it's a great way of doing it and seeing exactly behind the scenes of how everything works, how much contact you have, how they work out the numbers. Um, I've personally invested uh, several times before as well. And it's definitely the easiest way ever to invest into real estate. There's no other way around it. Because even having smaller multifamily, I mean, you're still in between you know, if even if you're not managing them yourself, you're still in between there and you're still, when there's large CapEx stuff that has to be done, large improvements, you're, you're being called, you know what I mean? Yeah. And um, so it's great. But so you've, you've co-syndicated uh, 28 deals worth nearly a billion dollars. And um, what strategies do you utilize for choosing opportunities when you bring them to your investors? So before I will look at a deal, I, I'm out there seeking the relationship with the operator and getting to know them personally, because I really believe um, that you've got to get that down before you look at numbers in a deal, because a lot of deals I see the numbers all look the same. And at the end of the day, you want to know who's behind those numbers and the team that's going to execute on the business plan. Because I think in most of these deals, especially now the, the biggest risk is execution. And I want to see, you know, a strong team. I want to know that team, you know, personally. So maybe I will invest in a deal prior to me, bring it to our investors um, or just through my due diligence, um, getting to know them, understanding um, their uh, communication style, how transparent they are. Uh, I typically will talk to other investors that have invested with them previously to just see what their experience was like. Uh, Cause it is a pretty small connected world out there and your reputation is everything. So I really try to get um, the character integrity piece down the trustworthiness before I will kind of scrutinize and look at a deal. So a lot of this is, you know, cultivated over, you know, several years of, of just getting to know someone and how they operate. And then 
also putting your money out there too to see how it actually will will play out. And so I did some of that, you know, in conjunction with um, uh, you know syndicating uh, deals with them. So um, yeah, a lot of personal investments, a lot of uh, you know trust. Um, but you can do your own due diligence um, in many different ways. There's a lot you can find on the internet nowadays. Yeah. Um, but but some of it is you know you you do get to kind of know as you're in this business, you get to kind of understand and see who's who's putting good deals together who's got a you know, good track record who's got good experience what asset class they're focused in on what markets they're in and so um you know this is what i do full time now so all day long I, I spend my day talking with investors and our operating partners so i feel like um i'd much rather go deeper in the relationship you know with the operator instead of you know just trying to kind of look at all these different deals so um we try to get that part um, right on the front end, because we know it's going to be a long-term partnership. It's going to be three, five, seven years. And so we want to do multiple deals together over that period of time and get our investors comfortable with that particular operator. So before we uh, put a deal together, there's a lot that's done on uh, kind of behind the scenes um, you know, with me and those partners. It's also good too, because when you speak to your investors and you say, well, I've invested with them before, this is how it works. This is what you'll get every 30 days, every 90 days. We do, you know, a webinar here or, you know, a call here. And then there's not, you're not kind of like flying by the seat of your pants on the first investment with them. You have a track record, you know exactly what happens. And of course, you've made that relationship. So those are all great things when you're bringing to investors that probably don't even know who the, who this other, who the, you know, the other co-syndicator is that you're working with. Um, so when you look for a deal prior, it's working with the operator. Uh, what are some red flags you've seen maybe with other operators um, or other deals or something that, that it's, you know, you, you kind of, it, something goes off and you say, well, this isn't, you know, this isn't how we do it, or this isn't something that I want to bring to my investors. Is there anything like that? Maybe you've seen an underwriting before or during conversation or with track record? Yeah, I would say definitely some red flags are, um, you know, the experience of the, the operating team. I mean, if they're a fairly new team, I would definitely want to see maybe one of the partners who has had a history that maybe goes beyond the, you know, the, the last crash we had, just so that there's someone there that can kind of look at this and, and really not kind of come into it with, with, with you know, with the best case, uh, you know, uh, assumptions out there. We want to see very conservative underwriting. And a lot of that is, um, you know, it takes experience to know when you put a deal together, there's going to be, you know, there's different levers that you can pull and you always want to have um, room built in because not everything's going to go as planned. And when it doesn't, you want to be able to, um, you know, react to it in a way or have planned for um, something to maybe not go, you know, as planned. And so sometimes we look at like, um, you know, on an exit, we want to see, you know, at least 50 basis points on the cap uh, the cap rates of when we buy it to when we exit just to give some space there. And if cap rates remain the same, then great. The returns will be even higher, but we want to definitely see someone kind of going in and spreading that out. Um, same thing with, um, you know, rent growth. Um, you know, if we're in a market where it's maybe five, 6% um, is the projection, we'd like to see someone maybe go in at 4% or at least, you know, be realistic that, you know, if we get the five or 6% that that's great, but we're not going to count on it because um, if you're going in, you know, best case scenario and one or two things go wrong, that's going to mess up the numbers. It's going to mess up the returns. And then, um, 
you know, it, it's a hole you're kind of digging out of. So we, we definitely want um, and look at experienced operators for a lot of those reasons, because I think when you go through a deal for the first time, you know, you're just assuming, oh, nothing will go wrong. And, and that we know is not the case. Yeah. So we like, um, you know, we like operators that um, have had, you know, experience, a track record and have done this over and over again, because you learn a lot from previous deals. Um, see if there's anything else. Um, you know, just underestimating the expenses. Is sometimes we see um, someone just, you know, the assumptions just are off and it's not realistic to what we see on other deals. So you got to look at the, you know, the projections um, and then the assumptions behind those projections and how do they get there and are they conservative or not? Yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, today it, we're looking at even being more conservative. So, um, you know, cash on cash returns, um, good debt in, in place, and then also having flexible exit strategies too, because um, sometimes, you know, we might plan to hold a deal for five years, but if it makes sense to get out early, we will. Um, or if we're in a situation where, um, you know, we want to hold on to the asset for a longer period. Maybe we, you know, we've locked in some long-term debt right now versus doing a bridge loan. But other times a bridge loan makes a lot of sense because there could be prepayment, prepayment penalties that if you're looking to unload the property in, in a few years, you, you got to factor all that in. So we like to have multiple exit strategies and not be cornered in um, because I think uh, another red flag, you know, if someone is over levered in a deal, um, you know, those are opportunities we hope to maybe be buying in a few years if, if someone is in a situation where they've got to kind of sell at a discount because they didn't, you know, think through a, a flexible, you know, exit strategy. Um, so I, there's, there's many out there. Um, you know, you could do all the diligence in, in the world ahead of time on someone uh, or a team. And at the end of the day, you know, that person could still wake up tomorrow and decide they want to be Bernie Madoff. And it's just that risk that's out there. I mean, it's very unlikely, but again, that's, we try to do everything we can. Um, there's obviously an element of risk, but you want to, you want to mitigate it as much as you can. So looking at all the different red flags and, and kind of modeling out some of these scenarios and stress testing these deals is, is always um, something I feel is prudent. Yeah. The conservative underwriting is a, is a main, very important uh, item. And the other thing too is, in 0809, we saw perfectly um, what happens when you don't when you have one exit strategy, and if that's refinancing um, or selling it, and the market has contracted. I mean, and now you can't refinance it, and if you have a balloon payment, if you have short term debt, so definitely at this point in time, having long term debt that that good uh, the good debt service is definitely a benefit and kind of a requirement and a, a safe way to kind of take down deals, I feel, at this point, where we are in the market cycle. Um, getting with your investors. Now, I was we were speaking uh, previously, and you were saying about 95% of your investors reinvest with you. And um, you focus on three different asset classes. Can you kind of explain the different asset classes and why you like them? Sure. Yeah, our main core focus is on value-add multifamily. Uh, we also have done self-storage deals. We've done manufactured mobile home park uh, deals as well. And uh, we like those three asset classes because if you look back the last 25 years, those have been the, the top three performers. And if you look forward, those are you know the top three that are expected to perform very well uh, over the next five or 10 years. Yeah. And we like assets that perform well in, in a strong market but also assets that hold up well in a down market that have this resiliency. And so all the deals that we're looking at and doing right now, you know, we're 
projecting that we're going to go through a, a, a downturn or recession and we're going to likely hold them through that. And we feel very comfortable because of the cash flow nature of these value add deals. So every deal we purchase is profitable from day one. We're not doing any development type deals. Just feel like that right now could be, you know, it's, it, you can make more money, but it's more risky. And we like to have you know, the combination of really strong cash flow with the value add plan that we can, you know, increase um, our equity over time and add value to the property. Um, but if we need to scale it back at a certain period of time, we can do that. I mean, we have that flexibility. And so, um, you know, I really like to see, um, you know, an average, you know, cash on cash return in the eight to 10% range. And, and I just feel like it gives us a buffer there that if we are in a position where we need to cash flow the property um, and, and maybe hold through a down market, you know, we're going to be fine. We're going to be in a good spot. So um, that's why we focus in on those. Our investors love those type of deals because it gives them an opportunity to have those passive income streams that they can, you know, consistently count on that, um, you know, they might get seven, eight, 10% um, annually. And uh, the other reason I like those three asset classes is because of the tax benefits. And those are, uh, you know, it's pretty substantial, uh, especially in multifamily um, where, you know, you're not having to pay taxes on that cash flow because of de the depreciation offset. Um, and in many cases, we're doing cost segregation studies. So there's just even more of a massive um, kind of paper loss um, in the first year or so in some of these investments. So our investors, um, they like the predictability of the cash flow. They like that it's, 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 it's not a volatile investment like the stock market. So we see a lot of uh, funds coming over from uh, what you know previously had been in the stock market and uh, that roller coaster ride isn't isn't fun for for most and so they like the the attractive returns the the cash flow element and then the tax benefits is kind of like icing on the cake at the end of the day. What uh what does a passive investor possibly like a first time passive investor what should they look for um, at at their deal when they're looking at deals they're looking at different operators what are the what are the main factors that they should consider. Yes, yeah, so I, th I think to start, um, you know, first and foremost, their own personal goals. You know, what 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 are they looking to get out of an investment? Um, what is their style? Are they more cash flow oriented or, or growth oriented? I think that might kind of dictate um, the type of deal that they want to invest in. Um, but by and large, most of our investors they 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 like the combination of the cash flow um, and the growth. And so, you know, they should be looking if if they're wanting to make an investment. I mean, all the deals that we're putting together. By and large, the, the goal is in five years to double your money. I mean, usually that, you know, that would mean like a, a 2x multiple. And, and generally, that's what, we're, we're, what the target is, what we're shooting for. Um, but I, I would say they'd want to see a good combination of cash flow and, um, and equity in that, that overall return. So if, if the return over a five-year period is going to be you know, 100% on your money, we'd like to see or I sh you know, would tell passive investors that maybe 40% of that return is going to come from the cash flow. So if you're getting 8% a year over five years, that's 40%. And that other 60% is going to come through that value creation um, in equity through the value add process. So it's not like the deal is back end for them where they have to wait until the end of the you know five years to sell, then, you know, realize that their capital. So a deal where you can get, you know, cash flow coming in at a, at a, 
early pace in a deal is a really solid opportunity because you're now you know realizing some of that um, you know the, the cash flow and some of the returns. So you're essentially taking some of your risk off the table as you're de-risking um, over time. And you know I think also understanding you know what is the business plan here? Is it to um, you know hold for an extended period of time? Is it to kind of get in, get out, maximize the returns? Are we trying to um, you know, generate the highest IRR, or is this going to be a property that we might, you know, look at as being more stable? We want to hold onto for a longer period. So I think kind of aligning that with their goals and knowing, um, you know, what the returns are or what they could be, uh, but also understanding that, you know, these are illiquid investments. So you are making investment where it's going to be tied up for for several years, and you have to be comfortable with that. You have to to know that that's just um, the trade off for, you know, maybe receiving a more attractive returns and, and getting all the tax benefits. So, um, so yeah, th those are definitely, you know, the, I guess the numbers that um, I would look at, but also from, you know, the operator perspective, you know, doing your own due diligence. Uh, we try to do as much as we can on the front end to kind of prepackage the opportunities, but each investor, I mean, this is, this is their own capital. They have to also do their own um, due diligence. And so, um, some of the things I alluded to earlier that we do, I think it's prudent for them to do their own research and to talk with others that maybe had invested with them before. Um, because one thing I do see a lot of investors, they invest together. They've got friends or partners. And so usually when one goes in, the other goes in. So there's kind of this herd mentality when you found a good deal or a good opportunity or you like a certain sponsor and they've done well that um, the repeatability of these investments is pretty large. And then we see a lot of that in our deals because um, the comfort level sets in once you kind of make that decision and you kind of know what to expect, you know how the communication is, you know um, just, you know, what, what the plan is and maybe it, it aligns with your goals. So it becomes easier, I think, over time, but it's usually that first deal that, um, you know, there, there's a lot of hesitation and you kind of feel like, all right, maybe you're jumping off the cliff, but um, the numbers that we see are um, very high from, you know, investor doing their first deal to doing many more. Uh, because it becomes a strategy at some point where they're diversifying their, you know, their investment portfolio and and trying to, you know, not keep all their eggs in one basket that that could be pretty volatile for them over time. So that's kind of it in a nutshell. I don't know if I missed no, anything. Definitely. The, uh, the referrals in the group investing is a big thing because if someone's invested before and then they're partner, uh, a, an associate of theirs to say, well, I'm trying to, you know, I'm going They have another deal in a different market. Well, I'm not really familiar with that. And then it's, it's, as you said, one invest, the rest of them invest, and then also the referrals as well. And you spoke to someone here that invested with you. And now I want to invest in something that you have coming up. So that's extremely powerful. And it's, it's definitely how most investors and they also I think I found out is the higher net worth the investor is, the passive investor, the less they look at the per deal and they're more looking at the operator and they're looking at the general partner team. And they're kind of, this is a shiny, this shiny book I'm going to put over here with the OM on it and that's great. But like, tell me about your goals, tell me about your experience. And I think that's a much different, um, a much different due diligence um, activity, I guess you would say, compared to the traditional wipe look through here and this has higher numbers than this one over here. You know what I mean? Yeah, I would definitely agree with you. The more sophisticated, maybe high net worth investor, yeah. they're, they're, they're putting a greater value on their relationship and the partnership than the numbers. Uh, because like I said before, 
all the numbers are relatively the same. I mean, within a percent or two, we've never seen one deal that, you know, is head and shoulders above the rest. I mean, they all kind of have the same story, the same business plan. I mean, just pick a you know, different market um, and, and that's and a different sponsor. And you're going to generally see on paper the, the, the same sort of strategy, the same numbers, but it's behind that paper. It's the team and their ability to execute and, and how they communicate with investors and how they, you know, reacted when they're facing adversity and, and how transparent they are. I mean, that all matters um, because at the end of the day, I mean, you could have a great deal and, and, and be a bad operator and mess it up and, and you can have an okay deal, but a really strong operator and they could, you know, turn that, turn that deal around and make it, um, you know, a very worthwhile investment for investors. So I think, yeah, the, the more sophisticated investors place a lot more weight into, um, that particular sponsor and that operator and knowing that, um, that, that they, they've got, and they also actually the ones that are, um, at a, kind of, think about how I'm going to frame this, but they're very passive, you know, they, they know, they know kind of the drill that they, that once they make their decision that they, um, there's not many times questions come up because they understand that it's a long process. It's going to take, um, you know, a few years, but they believe in the team where they're not kind of scrutinizing every little uh, adjustment or announcement or, or, you know, they, they get it that it's long term and um, they believe in the, the operator and they let them kind of, you know, go and do their job and uh, they'll benefit from it on the back end. Well, if they have money, they're usually busy. So making more money. So it's yep. kind of, <laughs> <laughs> um, what books or resources do you recommend to first time investors, whether it's active or passive? So I mentioned before, obviously the, the rich dad, poor dad book by Robert Kiyosaki is a great one for anyone that hasn't really grasped the concept of, of taking your earned income and making it more passive. And, um, you know, really kind of, you know, purchasing assets versus, uh, you know, liabilities and, and really, you know, letting your money grow for you 24 seven when you're out doing something else. Um, the other book I really like is, um, it's the best ever apartment syndication book by Joe Fairless. Mm -hmm. He really kind of lays out, um, all the details of putting a, you know, syndication together, buying your first, you know, apartment complex, just the process, what it uh, takes to raise capital, to find investors, to underwrite the deal, to you know, asset manage the deal. Uh, he goes through a lot of specific examples. So I thought it was very um, beneficial, very well written. There wasn't really a book out there um, at the time when he wrote it that really went through that level of detail. So mm -hmm. I, I would recommend um, you know, any investors interested in, in these types of opportunities to look at that book and read it. That's a very detailed book. I mean, it's like, uh, it's, <laughs> it's like an encyclopedia. Uh, yeah, that's definitely. awesome. So, um, where can people learn more about you and your business? So they can go to uh, McKennaCapital.com. That's probably the easiest way to connect with me. And from there, um, you know, they can sign up to, uh, to join our investor distribution list. Um, they can also follow us on you know, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, Facebook. We're kind of all over there on all the, all the social sites, but, uh, just head to my website, McKennaCapital.com, and uh, we can connect from there. Yeah, no, I'll put all those links in the bottom. And I've been on your mailing list for years, so it's uh, it's great getting all your different um, offerings that come through and what you what you're working on. So, but um, well, thank you very much for being on the show today, and uh, yeah, I look forward to connecting sometime in the near future. All right, well, thanks a lot, Charles. I appreciate you having me on. I'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Hi guys, this is Charles from the Global Investors Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you're interested in investing in real estate 
and you don't know where to begin, set up a free 15-minute strategy call with me at ScheduleCharles.com. That's ScheduleCharles.com. Thank you for listening to the Global Investor Podcast. If you like the show, be sure to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play to get new weekly episodes. For more resources and to receive our newsletter, please visit GlobalInvestorPodcast.com. And don't forget to join us next week for another episode. Nothing in this episode should be considered specific, personal, or professional advice. Any investment opportunities mentioned on this podcast are limited to accredited investors. Any investments will only be made with proper disclosure, subscription documentation, and are subject to all applicable laws. Please consult an appropriate tax, legal, real estate, financial, or business professional for individualized advice. Opinions of guests are their own. Information is not guaranteed. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. The host is operating on behalf of Harborside Partners Incorporated exclusively.